I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up. We're going to talk a little bit about what in the world I'm doing out in Southern California this week. Later in the pod, Autumn and I are going to sit down with Dr. Jen Vicencio and Sky Perryman, who is the executive director for Democracy Forward, as we talk about the latest abortion ban bill in the state of Texas. It is an interview I know you will not want to miss, so stay tuned. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, a womanist in ministry and the host of the Raceless Gospel podcast from Good Faith Media. It's season two, and we're still talking about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. This season of the Raceless Gospel has eight episodes, eight podcast church services. The doors of this church are open, and we're going to talk about the sticks and stones we carry faithfully that break the skin and bones of Christ's body. And on each episode, we're joined by those who bring perspective and insight as to how we set these broken bones and perhaps make things right. The Raceless Gospel Podcast, eight episodes. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we discuss the church in North America's bodywork. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Autumn, greetings from Southern California. You didn't have to rub it in, Mitch. I can hear the birds of the Pacific Ocean in the background, and here I am stuck (laughs) in my closet in Oklahoma. That's right. I'm in a hammock on the beach, sipping a Mai Tai and just, uh, you know, enjoying the week. (laughs) Uh, I'm so sorry. You and your husband were supposed to join us for this retreat this week. And as we know from last week's episode, uh, COVID visited your house. And so you had to quarantine this week. So we miss you tremendously. Mm hmm. What are so what exactly are you doing in uh, California? Well, let me answer that because I can detect the bitterness in your mm-hmm. So I'll answer it the best of my ability. We were invited to come out to uh, Southern California near the Los Angeles area by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is based out of Atlanta, Georgia. It's a wonderful organization that does a lot of great work around the world in the United States, North America. But they have recognized over the last 18 months the enormous pressure that clergy have been under. Pastors, as you can imagine, have just been through it over the last 18 months, uh, dealing with the, the pandemic and having to shut down services on Sunday morning and try to navigate the world of uh, internet church and all of that, uh, all that goes along with that. And then it seems like it was forever ago, but, uh, you know, just uh, a summer ago in 2020, uh, everything that erupted after the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor murders and talking about the sensitive issues of racial justice and the pushback that many pastors got from those conversations. It's just been a really trying 18 months for clergy. And so the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship decides, you know what, we're going to set aside some money. We're going to invite local ministers from around the country to come to this one location just to simply get away, take a deep breath, and just have a, a time of respite. And it's been really amazing so far. 
listening to the ministers who have descended upon this retreat center. My heart goes out to them. Uh, a lot of painful stories that uh, have been revealed over the last 18 months. But uh, man, some remarkable, remarkable men and women clergy. Uh, on, I mean, just even though after they have been through it for the 18, for 18 months, they love their church, they love their people, and they're making a big difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so glad that that you and Missy are able to be there. You know, I think it's helpful because you've stood in their shoes not so very long ago um, and also representing Good Faith Media and for hopefully the safe haven that we hope to be for uh, ministers and then also for lay people who work uh, to keep churches upright and moving forward in the right direction. Yeah, it's just been a really a godsend, even for me. Uh, you know, we certainly weren't as effective at Good Faith Media as local churches were the last 18 minute, uh, months. Uh, and so it's been, in, you know, like I said, it's been a, a time of inspiration to hear the stories coming from this retreat. And the, the men and women who are here are absolutely remarkable, doing some amazing work. And I hope to tell their story soon. You know, one of the series that we are considering in the future is pandemic stories uh, from the church, because, you know, this has been an unprecedented time over the last 18 months and really some remarkable, remarkable uh, stories have emerged. Uh, There's been some heartbreaking stories emerge, Mm -hmm. uh, but also uh, some really inspirational stories. So we just want uh, clergy to know at Good Faith Media that we are here for you. We're here to support you, provide resources for you. And, you know, if you need somebody to just uh, lean on, we're here for that too. And we just, uh, we just really admire all the clergy out there that are doing an incredible job. Yeah. And, you know, as if these clergy needed anything else to be juggling that could be sort of tricky to navigate in a, within a congregation, uh, Texas went ahead and just completely unhinged itself last week. Yeah. Tell me about it. Uh, you know, Texas has kind of led the way as far as states are concerned with passing uh, some really bizarre laws. Uh, First, it was the voter suppression laws that they instilled, uh, really targeting minorities in the state of Texas, especially around the Houston and Dallas area. Um, And and then they they trumped themselves, no pun intended, uh, in passing this anti-abortion bill that has really caused a stir across the country. The Supreme Court, Uh, upheld the abortion ban, which is a strange law, Autumn. I mean, it's just a strange law. It doesn't necessarily outlaw abortion, but what it does is it empowers citizens to sue abortion providers, uh, people who uh, provide counseling, people who even provide transportation uh, to a a woman seeking an abortion. Uh, It allows them to sue them and get paid by the state, $10,000 bounty uh, for doing so. And it was just bizarre to me that the the Supreme Court upheld uh, such a law. Uh, But uh, you and I got to sit down with two extremely knowledgeable experts in this field this week. And I just, I learned so much from them. Yeah, I really did too. I had a lot of questions around sort of how the law was written, why it was written that way, and how it impacts um, 
women of all kinds and communities of all kinds. I think something that I really learned from our time with Sky and Jen was that this sort of restrictive access to abortion care doesn't just impact women. It impacts families and communities, and it's very harmful. Yeah, and you know, we didn't bring it up in the interview because they were talking about so many important issues. But I just want to ask you, um, and you can tell me to go jump off a cliff, which there's one right in front of me right here in California. <laughs> with you, Mitch. <laughs> um, but this law and similar laws like this, dealing specifically with women's health, seem as though it is an, an attack from a male-dominated patriarchy upon women in general. Because this law targets women and yeah. women alone. Well, and it serves, like Jen talks about so eloquently, it serves to just further isolate women, you know? And in a time when, if you are considering an abortion, it's going to be a very vulnerable time for you. And Jen also talks about how these sort of restrictive access laws, they greatly impact people who are already marginalized. You know, who's going to have the funds to travel out of state to seek abortion care um, and who's not going to have that? And then what kind of systems are in place for people who don't have access to that and now are carrying this, you know, this child? Um, it's, it's an investment. And yes, it does feel like an attack on women. And um, again, it's just, it's not the place. Jen talked about that even when she's counseling someone who is considering abortion care, that she doesn't even consider herself. Who's an OB Jen, an expert in that room? The person who's an expert on seeking abortion care is the person who's seeking the abortion. And if she doesn't even consider herself an expert, then how could a legislator in the state of Texas who doesn't even have a uterus, consider themselves an expert on that access. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And what's even more infuriating as a uh, you know, former pastor with 20 years experience as a leader of a faith-based organization, how often uh, scripture is used to justify these positions. Yep. And, it, and when I mean this seems an attack on women in general from a male-dominated patriarchy. This is exactly what I'm talking about because the scriptures that are cited and used to, uh, to justify laws like this are primarily taken out of context in order to suppress women. You know, I, I will be shocked if there's a day when the scripture where a man is not supposed to waste his seed on the ground is ever passed that uh, there should be an anti-masturbation law for men. But that's super in the Bible, by the super way. Super in the Bible. It is super <laughs> in the Bible. So if we want to just pull things out of context, like I could play that game all day. Let's do it. It'll exactly. be like Mad Libs. No, you're absolutely right. And it just, you know, it is just another piece of evidence of people who are using the Bible, in my opinion, um, as a weapon and it was never meant to be used as a weapon it's a message of love it's a message of loving your neighbor and that's another another element that is addressed by sky and jen that i think is, is just really beautifully done yeah you know i think bottom line is uh the patriarchy uh right-wing patriarchy does not 
uh, like strong women making choices for themselves. They want to control their choices. And this is the epitome of, of that power that they try to uh, subjugate women with. And so it's just, again, still, I'm, I'm still just really upset by it. Uh, Jen and Sky do a wonderful job. And so I think our, our audience is really gonna enjoy listening to, the, to our interview with them. Autumn, before we go to the interview, um, I think it's certainly appropriate. Uh, this Sunday is the 20th anniversary of September the 11th. It's hard to believe that it was 20 years ago. Uh, uh, you know, and just uh, I'm just really mesmerized by this. I've been watching stories this entire week on CNN and other news organizations, just recalling the events of 9/11. Um, you know, I, I know you were you were probably uh, what in junior high? <laughs> no, I was a freshman in college. I was oh, living okay. in a dorm on my own for the first time ever, mm-hmm. and woke yeah. up and I was like, mm, I left my TV on MTV. What's happening here? Why is this suddenly on the news? And you know, the news was on every station. It was so bizarre. Yeah, it was a, a tragic day in the life of our country. Uh, so many innocent people' lives lost uh, in New York City, Washington D.C., and in the field, uh, the Pennsylvania field. And so, uh, and then afterwards, you know, we just ended a twenty-year war in Afghanistan, uh, another war in Iraq. So many of our brave men and women uh, were killed during those wars. I don't want to forget them during this 20-year anniversary as well. So before we go to the interview, Autumn, I just think it's appropriate. Let's, uh, you and I and our audience, just take a moment of silence to remember and reflect on what happened 20 years ago. Amen. Now let's stay tuned for our interview with Jen and Sky as they talk about the Texas abortion ban that was just upheld by the Supreme Court last week. I'm Reverend Kendall Ray Rothis, and my latest book is just out by Queendom Come, Breaking Free from the Patriarchy to Save Your Soul. By Queendom Come is a feminist reimagining of the kingdom of God. Hierarchy is replaced with a reign of love. Women's voices and stories are valued. Reverence for the divine feminine reemerges from the ashes of its martyrdom. Order your copy of Thy Queendom Come wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. This week, we are welcoming Dr. Jen Villavicencio and Skye Perryman to the show. Both are repeat podcast. So welcome back to the show to both of you. Uh, Dr. Villavicencio is a first-generation Cuban-American who grew up in Miami, Florida. She is an OB-GYN who practices abortion care and is a board member for Catholics for Choice. Her interests include bridging the gaps between public and health policymaking and the clinical world, reproductive justice advocacy, and effective messaging for social change in abortion. Sky Perryman is a lawyer, advocate, and leader with a track record of taking on and winning critical fights that advance democratic values, stop abuses of power, and improve the well-being of people and communities. She was named president and CEO of Democracy Forward Foundation in June of 2021, returning to the organization where she was on the founding litigation team. 
She most recently served as the Chief Legal Officer and General Counsel of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, where she oversaw its broad portfolio of legal, policy, and public affairs work and led a number of groundbreaking initiatives that enhanced access and equality in healthcare. So you can tell from the bios why we have this dream team on the <laughs> podcast today, because things in the state of Texas are, are really askew right now. Well, welcome both of you to the podcast. We're delighted that you're here. Uh, as Autumn said, the two experts in the field, it's just really outstanding to have both of you on the podcast this week uh, to lend us your expertise uh, to see what's been a crazy two weeks. It has. And thank you so much for, for having us um, on, on the podcast. And I'm really excited to be here, although we will be talking about some really tough stuff Um and as someone who has been on the ground in um, various places that are restrictive in terms of women's health care and abortion care, the past two weeks have been really, really difficult um, thinking about all of my colleagues and friends, as well as the people that they care for um, in Texas. So, so let me ask, let me begin with this question. Uh, and Jen, um, Sky, whoever wants to answer, it's fine. How did we get to this point? It seems as though there's been a lot of legislation that it's found its way uh, to the Supreme Court. It's been ruled on. Roe v. Wade has been upheld. But it seems like for those of us who are on the peripheral, this came out of left field, that all of a sudden it was though the Supreme Court was not going to rule on this. And then overnight they rendered a decision. Uh, and so just tell us a bit about how we got to this point before we talk about the ruling itself. I'm really, I'm really happy that you asked that. And I think it's an incredibly important question, particularly for people of faith and those that listen to good faith media who are so concerned about the well-being of people and families and communities. And um, to, to, to say it bluntly, um, this did, this is an incredibly surprising and unprecedented um, and harmful decision. And we'll talk about that. But unfortunately, the pattern that led us here has been ongoing, uh, has been consistent, has been persistent, and it's a place where a lot of folks in our country haven't been paying attention as much. The media has covered it to some degree, but maybe not in all areas. And so I think it's really important that we have this conversation today, and Mitch, the question you ask is one that's incredibly important. So what I'll say is, over the past few years, there has been a real uptick in um, restrictive laws that are being pursued by state legislatures throughout the country, laws that would send doctors, nurses to jail, laws that would criminalize women for seeking care, and of course now in Texas for people who seek to assist people in obtaining the health care that they need, um, laws that beyond the context of women's reproductive health care of abortion care, uh, laws that would criminalize doctors for providing gender affirming care or care that LGBTQ people need. Um, so we have seen this trend. There is a um, good map that you can go to on a website called the Guttmacher Institute where you can see um, a uh, illustration of what um, abortion access and what reproductive health care access looks like in America. Uh, these things have been being pursued with extreme, uh, with, with just with really extreme energy in a lot of states throughout the country. And advocates on the ground have been working day and night to oppose them, to stand up, to tell the stories, to talk about the millions of people who are going to be harmed. But unfortunately, in many states, this is what we're seeing. Um, in the courts, which we've often looked to as a backstop 
to stop unconstitutional and unlawful and harmful behavior. Um, at the beginning of COVID pandemic in March of last year, we saw a number of states seek to ban or restrict abortion in the early days of the pandemic and courts um, ruled that that was unconstitutional and stopped that. But unfortunately, as a result of the rebalancing of the Supreme Court, as a result of a concerted effort that has been going on in our country to restrict access to care and rights of women and others who require reproductive health care. Um, what we saw last week is really a tragedy and um, is going to harm millions of people because the, the courts did not stop an unlawful and harmful law, which is SBA. And, and doctor, when you heard about the, the decision by the Supreme Court as a physician who offers care to hundreds of women, thousands of women over your career, it had to be a gut punch. Uh, what what was your, your raw emotion when you heard the decision by the Supreme Court? Um, you asked me that question gets me a little choked up just thinking about where I was in that moment. Um, it was, I think, a combination of really deep rage and um, intense sadness. Um, and there was a little bit of fear there as well. I think that um, those of us who provide this care know how desperately the people who seek it need this care. Um, and not only was I concerned for my colleagues who I know in Texas and, and are directly impacted by this um, and are worried about them, I'm really worried about the people who aren't gonna be able to make decisions about their lives and make decisions about their pregnancies for their families and with their communities the way that they have always done and the way that I've dedicated my life's work to helping them do. And um, it's, it's pretty unspeakable um, what this feels like. And as Sky mentioned, you know, this has been going on for a long time. There's some kind of chronic trauma with this, if I, if I may be so bold as to say that, but there's something about this law in the Supreme Court essentially ignoring us and saying, we're not going to listen to you and we're not going to listen to the millions of people who need your help. That was um, incredibly devastating um, that, that night. And this law, this law seems so bizarre to me. I mean, we, we've gotten used to the, the, the forward attacks against Roe v. Way and women's health. But this law seems to deputize citizens in the state of Texas to plot citizen against citizen that empowers them to sue one another, physicians, women who are suspect of abortion care. Uh, Sky, is that accurate? And what in the world is, I mean, this just seems like a, such a bizarre law to me. Well, it's certainly extreme, and um, we have certainly not seen the court uphold a law like this um, in any, um, you know, in, in any recent years. Um, I will say that history shows that um, throughout history, there have been times where laws have empowered people to engage in actions against others, and most of the time, those were laws in order to prop up or to support the Jim Crow South or other um, sort of racist structures in the country. Um, so this is not something that if you look through legal history that you wouldn't find some vestiges of in the darkest parts of American history. What is incredibly concerning, of course, is that we're seeing it rear its head now. And we're seeing it um, in a way that's going to impact millions. The other thing that is incredibly concerning is the amount of states that have already come out in the last week. Um, it's we, We've been about a week since this, um, uh, 
decision came down from the Supreme Court, and you're already seeing states saying that they're going to pursue this form of a law. Um, some call them Karen laws, but this form of a law um, throughout um, other states um, with respect to reproductive health care, with respect to LGBTQ care, which with respect to a lot of um, essential services that we know that millions of people in our country need. Mm-hmm. just want to add one quick thing as well, um, a, a point of clarification about this particular law, which is that the, the person that is seeking abortion care or that receives abortion care is actually not um, subject to what is essentially this mm, good point, good point described. I think that it is, um, while that may seem like a relief, I actually think that it is a particularly cruel part of the law because what it does is it seeks to isolate, isolate. people on their yeah. support systems. Um, it makes it so that their support systems are afraid to help them seek the care that they need. And I know as someone who provides this care that these decisions are not made in a vacuum. Women talk to their families, they talk to their husbands, they talk to their children, they talk to their grandmothers, they talk to their friends and neighbors, their clergy people. These are well thought out communal decisions that are made. And what this law does is it seeks to isolate people and really punish support systems for being there for them. And I think that it is a particularly cruel part of a incredibly cruel law. Jen, Jen, there are some terms, some medical terms that are a little bit... um, disingenuous almost in their usage. Can you go into that a little bit from a medical standpoint? Sure. So the these laws are typically referred to as heartbeat bans um, or six-week bans. And in this in the text of this bill in Texas, it does refer to um, a heartbeat. And I think that this is a complex subject. Abortion generally, especially for um, people of faith, may be a really complex subject to think about and to feel. And I want to honor that and acknowledge that. And that's what I love about you is that you came from that place. So you truly can stand in those shoes and talk about with knowledge of what it feels like to grapple with this subject. Exactly. To to remind listeners, I came from quite an anti-choice background. I used to consider myself pro-life. I um, have previously advocated for bills similar to this. Um, And so I understand those complexities and I understand that um, we can hold feelings that feel oppositional um, when they're not actually oppositional. I also know, um, and what ultimately helped me change my mind and kind of come to the side that I'm on now, um, is that the vast majority of faith traditions that I understand have some aspect of justice in them, right? There's some foundational aspect of justice, especially those that are um, prominent in the United States. And being able to help your neighbor when they need help is a foundational aspect Mm. of justice. That's ultimately where I come from. And so um, that's sort of the the quick version of how I I, um, came to where I was from where I grew up. But in terms of the the medical terms, they use the term heartbeat, which I I want to be careful about not um, being flippant. There's been some um, media that says, oh, it's not a heartbeat, it's cardiac activity. I have ultrasounded many people who are so, so excited at that six week or seven week visit to see that heartbeat because all they have wanted is to get pregnant and they call it a heartbeat and to them it is a heartbeat and I call it a heartbeat and that's okay. Um, And it's okay to feel that and remember that if that was an experience that you had. When we are correcting medical terms, we're doing so not to invalidate that experience that you may have had or that your family member may have had, but to acknowledge the fact that the people making these laws don't know the medical science. There is not a heart that is beating. Um, The heartbeat, actually the sound that we 
think about comes from the opening and closing of heart valves, cardiac valves. Those don't exist at this period of time. The, the sound that you actually are hearing from the machine is manufactured by the machine, um, by it's in all of the, the different ultrasound manuals. And so what in medicine, we typically refer to it as cardiac activity because it's the beginnings of the development of the heart, but it is not in any way a medically substantial point in time, or it's really kind of arbitrary um, and certainly not a point in time, which signifies any sort of viability. And again, I want to reiterate that it doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people when they hear that or they see that, and that's okay. We can hold those two things at once. This was very meaningful to me, but shouldn't be the basis of a law that prevents people from being able to get care. It's so good. Yeah, you know, the thing that, that's really frustrating for a lot of us is that uh, we, we certainly have deep compassion uh, for people who have, who are, you know, who find out that they're pregnant, they've been waiting for so long, we're so happy for them. Uh, but we also understand that each one of these situations are nuanced. And each one of these situations must be handled under the direct care of a physician and the relationship between physician and patient. No two situations are alike. No two families are alike. These decisions must be made and there must be the freedom and the law must protect that freedom to be able to make those choices. And that's what's so frustrating about the current law and maybe these subsequent laws that are going to be coming down the pike is that they are ripping this decision away from the physician and the patients who are the most capable people in this moment mm -hmm. to make this decision uh, for these families. So it's just, it's really, really heartbreaking. Now, I just uh, want yeah, to quickly jump in there because I think that your emphasis on the, the expertise of the people making these decisions is really important. I often talk about my expertise in medicine while I have some, and I spent the entirety of my twenties building up that ex expertise. People who are pregnant, families and communities, they know what is best for them and they know what makes sense for them and for their families. The majority of people who seek abortions are already mothers, are already parenting. Oftentimes they're doing so because they want to be able to parent the families that they already have and that they know that bringing another life that they care very deeply about into the world is not a way to honor any of those. These decisions are incredibly complex. And I would argue that a physician is only, a physician or a healthcare provider is really there to help um, ease that process. There are plenty of people who can make these decisions without us. I'm happy to be there to help when people need that help. But ultimately, these decisions and these choices and these, um, these options in terms of how we're going to live our lives are based in what we experience every single day. Mm -hmm. um, I was delivering babies this weekend um, on a 24-hour shift. That's how I spent my labor day weekend which <laughs> is, um, with laboring women. And... Um, it was an incredible experience to watch new life come into the world and hand these um, brand new babies over to their moms. There was a hemorrhage. We had an emergency. We had a couple of emergencies, actually. These are really, really tough scenarios and things. They're beautiful and complicated and hard. And these should be entered in with as much ability, choice, and interest from the person that is pregnant as possible. And taking away that option is really, really scary and unfortunate and frankly cruel. So let's pick up on that point because, you know, there's parts of this law that, I mean, the entire law was just uh, infuriating, but there are 
parts of this law that are even more infuriating, such a thing, more infuriating. And that is the exclusion of uh, rape and incest. So are there any other exclusions uh, for physicians? I mean, if how, how does a physician prove to whatever panel that is going to have to make this decision, I'm assuming it's a judge or a court of law, how do they, they make that uh, offer that evidence to suggest that the mother's life were in danger or can they even do that? I mean, it just, it, At I'm, six just weeks. I'm so perplexed by this. Yeah, I'm so perplexed by this. So the law is unconstitutional. Um, and it offers no exceptions uh, for rape or incest, um, which means that teenagers or young people who are in Texas who have um, been raped, um, maybe by a family member, uh, have, um, you know, if, if they learn that they're pregnant after six weeks, um, it's going to be difficult for them to obtain that care in Texas. There are many who will help, I think, um, them at great risk to themselves get care. Um, in other places. But in Texas, this law says that you cannot obtain care there. And again, as Jen said, um, the, the law does not criminalize or otherwise penalize people for seeking health care, but to the support systems, the doctors, the nurses, those who are part of um, allow, uh, enabling people to access their, the care that they need. Um, so it, it's incredibly extreme. And um, there were, I believe, amendments presented um, before the legislature in order to create these exceptions, and they were rejected um, by the legislature against um, resounding opposition through, and I do want to give voice to that, there are many on the ground in Texas who fought against this law, who voted against this law, who spoke against this law, who testified against this law, and um, really do want to make sure that we give voice to those who have been far before the media was covering it and it was on the front page of every newspaper like we've seen in the last week. There have been people on the ground doing this work trying to prevent this reality from coming into effect. And two points, um, one following off of um, Skye's, I think that the lack of exceptions for, for rape and incest are really important, but I also think that it's important that we not rely on those, that if they are in a law, then okay, then the worst of the worst is covered. The, the number of people that I've seen that desperately need abortion care, um, regardless of their circumstances, is pretty much everybody. And every single decision is thought out and made because there is a reason that person can no longer stay pregnant. And so while, yes, excluding rape and incest are particularly awful and jarring, it does not, if those exclusions are in, it doesn't excuse the law for everybody else. And so I just wanted to make that point because um, I think we often think about that. We're like, okay, phew, at least those, those folks will be able to access care when we're not thinking about the fact that oftentimes it requires a police report. It requires yep. them going through all sorts of additional trauma to prove that this was how the pregnancy was conceived. So they're not great exceptions anyway. And then Mitch, to your question about physicians, there is an exception for immediate uh, threat to life, which is frankly um, extremely rare at the at the gestational age at which um, right. we're in, but it it could be possible. And you, if there was someone that was at twelve weeks and there there was an immediate threat to their life, you could potentially, per this law, provide care. The trouble with that is is that medicine is not black and white. There are no lines drawn in the sand. No one puts up a flag and they're like, okay, now I'm dying. Um, and so. What it does is it forces physicians to, and people who are caring for people who are in this situation, it forces them to decide, 
How long or am I willing to wait? How sick does this person have to get before I'm willing to risk my livelihood, my ability to practice, my ability to continue caring for my community? That is not something that you want me thinking about when I'm taking care of your family member. Um, it is not clear in the law how I prove that. It is not clear in the law what it actually means, um, which just further demonstrates that this law was not written with any sort of actual um, medical expertise in mind. And they kind of just threw it in there. Um, in my mind, it's, it's pretty meaningless. Sky, you put together a really helpful sort of email for people who are asking you um, what they can do to help. Could you give us a few of those bullet points of folks who are listening and wondering how they can help? Sure. I think that, you know, first of all, again, thank you for having this conversation because one of the best things we can do as people of faith, as people who care about families and communities and individuals is have conversations, is talk about these things, is ask hard questions, is, is seek to understand. And so thank you for doing that. The second thing that I think, and then we can get into some really practical things that I want to emphasize, is this is bigger than Texas and it's bigger than abortion in Texas. It's bigger in Texas for the reasons that we talked about earlier, which is that many states are already considering um, these types of laws. But I also want to remind folks who may not be um, reading the law every day or um, providing healthcare like Dr. Villavicencio does every day, um, the court, when the court recognized that our constitution in the United States enshrines a right to privacy, a right to personal autonomy over people's um, lives, uh, which is fundamental in a democratic society, that you have a degree of personal autonomy over your lives and over your futures and over your pursuits. Um, it did so in recognizing um, a range of cases that the court had prior to Roe v. Wade recognized as privacy. And some of those cases involved contraception access. And um, you know, many people forget that as early as the 1960s, there were people in this country, physicians, who were arrested, um, who were fined, who um, risked their livelihoods for talking about family planning, for counseling people about um, contraception or about methods to control um, their reproductive lives and about prescribing um, family planning medications. And so whenever we, um, it's easy to get very focused on one particular issue and not see this as holistically as we really need to see it. When the state can pass a law that restricts the ability of people to make decisions about their reproductive lives, we need to see it is all in, um, threatened here. This is not just about abortion, it's about contraception. It's about being able to have conversations about being able to make decisions about your own lives. It's about being able to seek healthcare. And so this is incredibly alarming. And I think one thing that people can do is to give voice to that and to understand and see this for the holistic uh, issue that it is and for the extreme threat that it is. Some other things that can be done, and I'm sure you can put these in your show notes, yes. is there is a helpful website right now. Um, and I, Dr. Villavincencio can talk a bit more about this too, um, where people can donate to what we call abortion funds, which are organizations that provide um, funding for people who need to seek health care, who need help logistically managing the process, who need help with transport, who need help with physically um, uh, paying for the process since many um, insurers don't um, fully cover abortion care. And of course, the federal, many federal government programs are unable to cover abortion care because of the Hyde Amendment and because of other laws that have been passed by the federal government. So Dr. Villavincencio, I'm sure, can say more about that, but I would definitely recommend looking 
into donating to Texas abortion funds, um, as well as educating oneself. And um, thinking about, you know, having these conversations, go to that Guttmacher Institute map, look at what's going on with abortion care in your area where you live, in areas where you have loved ones that live, see what you can do to get on the ground. And also to remember that this law um, has gotten a lot of media attention, but it was making its way through the legislative system. All through the spring of 2021, we saw many laws like this in the last legislative sessions in 2019 or laws similar to this. And so, you know, you're a citizen. You can, it's very powerful. Write, um, submit testimony, talk to your congregations in Texas right now. Um, there is an effort underway through the Texas Freedom Network where congregations can become reproductive freedom congregations and raise awareness about these issues. So um, there are many things that I think people can do um, we, it's a dark day, but I think we have to have hope and determination that we can turn the tide. Jen may have some other thoughts as well. Yeah, I have a, a few other, maybe more squishy suggestions for folks. Um, I think talking about this is really important. Um, my mind was not changed by facts or um, papers. It was changed by listening to the experiences of the people that I was taking care of and realizing that I was really deeply, had really deeply flawed beliefs about how things worked. And so um, statistically, one in four of women listening to this um, in the U.S. will have had an abortion. If you feel comfortable telling someone and safe telling someone about your abortion and your abortion experience, those, those stories are incredibly powerful in helping um, shift hearts and minds. Even having conversations about the difficulties that you have with it, with your, your, congregation or with folks that um, you pray with or that you worship with, really having these conversations about what abortion means um, in the framework of justice and in the framework of faith and in supporting our neighbors can really go a long way in shining a light on what has sometimes been in the dark and acknowledging that this is, yes, it's a complex subject, but we can exist and, and work with complex subjects. We do it all the time. Um, and we can celebrate people um, for whatever decision that they're making. And so I think that's what I probably would recommend folks do, um, particularly people of faith. I think that this is an incredibly important conversation and is so extraordinarily powerful when coming from folks um, who have a, a deep faith background and tradition. Well, I want to thank both of you for being on the, the, the podcast this week. Uh, you're a wealth of information. Your expertise is appreciated. Your service uh, to the larger cause is uh, is very appreciated. Uh, but before I let you go, Autumn usually gets to ask this last question, but I get to ask it this week uh, since uh, I'm off location. Uh, we ask every one of our guests uh, what our tagline is, uh, what's your more to tell? And so in light of everything that we've talked about here today, what is currently uh, ongoing in this particular uh, issue, what is your more to tell? So Scott, I'll just say as a person that grew up in Waco, Texas and went to college in Waco, Texas and has um, a goddaughter who's presently living there now who has fewer rights today than I had when I was growing up in Texas, um, this is a really difficult week. Um, but I think my more to tell is never underestimate the power that you as an individual have to help change this tide. Um, we need more people that are willing to stand up and speak out. Uh, the people that voted against this law uh, were brave in doing so because they're doing it in a cultural environment. It is very difficult for them. We need people encouraging them. 
We need people getting involved in their communities, getting involved in their churches and having these conversations. And so I would just say, um, you know, never underestimate the power that you have as an individual to help turn this tide. It is going to take all of us. I do believe we can do it, but it's going to take all of us. Um, my more to tell, I think, is um, a, a little bit talking about the past and how it influences the future. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about and that I do want to bring up that I think fits into this, this frame is that these laws always disproportionately impact people who are more marginalized or vulnerable. And so black and brown people, immigrants, which are, you know, that's incredibly, as a first generation Cuban American, it's incredibly close to my heart that all these folks that are at the border that may be needing this care are not going to be able to get it. Um, young people who don't have family support. These laws really impact them. Um, and thinking about the past, since the beginning of time, since the beginning of human history, really abortion has been a thing. We've been working to try to plan our families and to try to take care of the people that we love and, and our communities. So these laws aren't going to stop abortion. They're just going to make them much more difficult to get. They're going to make it much, much harder. It's cruel intervention in between the relationships that these folks need, um, not only with their support systems, but their, their medical caregivers. And it disproportionately impacts these vulnerable folks. And so I hope that um, my more to tell is that I hope that, um, as Sky said, you recognize that not only you as an individual, but your voice and your vote mean something, regardless where you live. It's never the end of the story because this has been, um, this is part of our history and will be part of our future. And so I think that we need to continue to support each other um, in these nuanced, complex conversations and be okay with um, having complexity about it. Well said, very well said. Well, Dr. Valencio, Sky Perryman, thank you so much uh, for joining us on uh, Good Faith Weekly this week. We will continue to fight the good fight, educate everywhere we can, because this issue is just too vitally important. The health care of half of our country is at stake, and we need to make certain that they are cared for and the law is standing up for them. So thank you for all the work you're doing, and we are in this fight together. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, to our listeners of Good Faith Weekly, thank you for joining in this week. Uh, uh, I'll be back in studio next week. Thank uh, Autumn for holding down the fort this week. Uh, but until next time, as always, keep living good faith.